G'day, Dominic Barfield here, and this is the RVC Clinical Podcast. Thank you for listening and thank you for subscribing on your smartphone or generic fruit-based device. We're really grateful for you taking the time to download and listen to this RVC podcast. We don't ask for much in return, but we're incredibly grateful if you could pop to our podcast or ACAST and leave us a review. Sadly, Spotify um, don't allow uh, um, you to review podcasts, but other podcast providers do. Obviously, a five-star review would be great, and we'd be really appreciate a couple of minutes of your time to do that. Um, so joining Brian and myself in our virtual studio, we're going to talk to the wonderful Zoe Harfakree, who was with the uh, RVC for um, quite a number of years, but is now working at Davies um, Veterinary Specialist. So thank you very much, Zoe, for coming to uh, chat with us. Hi, Domo. Thanks for having me. And, uh, and I know we, we've spoken about different things before, sort of on the on the park on the podcast, but um, uh, but more recently, you've been interested in um, sustainability and, and the sustainability in the veterinary profession. Um, so, so maybe I could start by asking um, how you got interested in in that. Um, it's a really good question. Um, I've always been interested and fascinated by the natural world, and it was very much a focus of mine um, in my late teens um, before I. Um, became um, a vet student Um, and I think that part of what attracted me to becoming a vet is um, that as as a vet you are sort of positioned to understand um, animal human health and um, the sort of ecosystem um, more globally Um, but I guess I um, became just very focused upon um, clinical veterinary medicine um, and um, subsequently um, specialising um, in surgery, which is a career I've, I've really loved. Um, but I probably, to be perfectly honest, um, having um, my children who are now four and six, again, sort of really opened my eyes um, together with, you know, the increasing awareness of all of the um, environmental crises um, that we are facing um, really made me in my own life, um, look at what I could do to modify um, how we work as a family um, and how we could become more sustainable. Um, And I found um, that I would sort of feel that there was a mismatch um, in terms of what I would sort of practice in in my home versus what I was able to in the workplace um, because um, of a lot of the the things that we have to do with regards to trying to um, minimise um, infection ri- risk, um, you know, optimise asepsis for surgery. Um, and I started to sort of really notice the amount um, of waste that we would generate and started to question, is there a different way? Obviously, um, I want to continue to practice um, veterinary medicine um, to um, uh, you know a, a very high level and provide outstanding um, veterinary care for our patients and that remains a priority but it really became a big question to me as to could this be done any differently such that we could um, be be balancing both um, the impact um, upon the environment um, and maintaining excellent care at the same time. Um, and that led me to um, to think about it and to um, look more widely and to see what other people um, were doing. Um, and there's a lot that's actually going on um, in terms of um, environmental sustainability within the veterinary profession at the moment. 
um, really the the person who has has sort of led um, this and and uh, initiated everything. Um, well, there's there's two main people. Um, Dr. Ellie West, who's a veterinary anaesthetist who works at Davies Veterinary Specialists, um, actually began their green group, um, which I, I'm very fortunate now to have, have just um, been able to join and find out some of the work that they've been doing. Um, and um, she um, led um, them going through the process um, of making changes within the hospital to improve um, reduce the impact that they were having upon the environment and they were actually the first um, practice um, to gain um, accreditation from investors in the environment. Um, Investors in the environment is an environmental charity that um, that provides environmental accreditation so um, you basically sort of do an audit of what your impact was upon the environment, set targets to try and reduce those um, and then once those targets were met, then you you then achieve the award, which begins at, at bronze. Um, then it can um, go up to silver, and then becomes a green is the is the ultimate um, sort of accreditation award. Um, and Davies have achieved that that green level um, of of environmental accreditation. Um, so Ellie um, and the other colleagues within the green group at Davies have been very influential. Within the veterinary world, um, there is a lot of information available on the Davies website, um, which provides um, good, um, you know, guides as to what you can do. Um, the other person who has been um, really of, of great significance within the veterinary profession is um, Dr. Laura Hyam, um, who um, established Vet Sustain. Um, Around about, well, just over a year ago, really, um, Vet Sustain was established um, as, a, as a group um, initially on Facebook, um, but has become um, a, a really sort of well structured um, organization um, with various different arms trying to um, support and influence change within the veterinary profession. Um, Vet Sustain is um, due to become a community um, interest company um, and um, Vet Sustain is doing an awful lot of work to also um, connect um, different people who are interested in veterinary sustainability throughout the profession and also to provide resources um, that can support those changes. Um, There are um, also lots of resources now available on the Vet Sustain website um, to be able to give people a place to start in their sustainability journey a lot a long answer to your question <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that's great so very very thorough as, as always uh, i would have uh, expected that um can, can i just ask so you did a, a course didn't you on veterinary sustainability um though and and, and what or, or is that on environmental sustainability or, or what yes. how did that um help um so i completed a an eight-week short course um through the Cambridge Institute of Sustainable Leadership. Um, it was an online course, um, which I was you know, fortunate to be able to complete without any disruption um, during lockdown, um, the first lockdown. Um, and um, there weren't any other veterinary professionals on that course. It was very much a global um, community of, of students. Um, all different stages of their career um, sort of studying. 
from some people who um, were environmental scientists to other people who were um, CEOs in large companies. And it was just um, really trying to um, bring people together um, and guide everyone as to um, changes that we can make um, in the future. It was um, business sustainability and it was really interesting to me because its focus was largely upon the positive change that business can make um, in terms of our future. Um, there was discussions about um, the economy and how the economy should be rewired um, for sustainability um, and a lot of focus upon um, a, a circular economic model um, and particularly thinking about um, sustainability when we think um, also um, of people um, and the work that they are performing um, and ensuring um, that people um, have appropriate working conditions, um, appropriate, you know, uh, sort of considerations to their health um, and welfare, um, and also thinking about that with the environment. So it was very much focused upon all of the United Nations 17 Sustainable Development Goals, um, which really do cover all of these aspects um, of sustainability. Um, and it gave me a really great foundation um, to understand more what could be done um, and really to understand the, the power that the business um, and, you know, therefore veterinary business has um, in um, making this incredible contribution to a new future um, that, that we all um, need to believe in and need to change for. Thank you. And um, can I ask, I suppose that if you think about with every problem that there's um... Uh, you've got to tackle it on sort of many levels. And I suppose you're speaking about the um, the veterinary profession as a whole and what changes we need to do, um, but also probably the, the companies that um, either, either we work for individual businesses, but also I suppose our, our suppliers. Is there, is there any, is there a particular area in that sustainability sort of framework that tends to be the the main focus like is it is it the equipment that we're um the buying or the drugs we're buying or where we're buying them from or or is it just am i asking too much of a, a, a simple I, I think there's an awful lot problem? to take sorry to interrupt you there's, there's an awful lot to take into consideration but the main fundamental um approach i think should be to just to stop and think so thinking about where um, waste occurs within a system, thinking about whether um, when, um, you know, we generate waste within clinical practice or in all sorts of different industries, whether that waste is being um, managed in the optimal way that it could be, thinking about whether there is an alternative. Um, and really just just trying to to um communicate to all of the team um within a workplace that this is something that we all need to be um thinking about and addressing and then communicating more widely to those people um that we interact with either as suppliers or as clients um, that that it it's an approach that that business or that veterinary practice 
are intending to take, um, the more that um, people are aware um, that this is something that that we're taking seriously, the more um, that change change will occur. Um, as veterinary professionals, we really have sort of quite a unique position of responsibility. Um, we are trusted professionals, um, and what we um, communicate to our clients, um, to our students, um, and you know, to the the broader public, um, has quite a lot of impact, um, and it's. I think very fitting that we should be sort of involved in the sustainability agenda in terms of what we do, but also in terms of um, the broader message that we deliver. Um, there are sort of simple different ways that we can do that. Um, one um, simple way for a veterinary practice sort of to, to be involved in one of the sort of key issues that we're facing in terms of environmental crises um, is when we're considering the global loss of biodiversity. Um, and we're all very aware of the um, loss of pollinators, you know, the reduced number of, of bees that we're seeing within our gardens. Um, there is um, a British Bee Veterinary Association um, and they provide a really um, useful um, pack of resources um, which you can um, sign up for um, and receive um, to use in your practice and, and become um, a bee-friendly practice. Um, and it's just simple steps like that that can help um, clients within the waiting room, obviously in non-COVID times, um, think um, about their impact upon um, the local environment um, and also you know, to educate their children um, and think about all of us thinking about different changes that we can make as we move forward into the future. One little example, there's obviously lots of different things. So, so if you're going to start with, um, so, so if someone came to you Zoe, and said, what, what can I do to get in, involved um, in this? Mm -hmm. I suppose there's, would there be one thing to get involved with the, um, the veterinary sustainability, I suppose, discussion, but also, I suppose, so, so maybe I could ask that, how do, how do they get involved with that? But also, if you would say to someone, what could they do to start off with the way they look at what they do in their practice? Would you say that waste management should be like the first, one of the easiest things to, to consider? So there's lot, lots of different questions to answer there, Dom. So first of all, I'll answer like how, you know, how to get involved in the discussion. Um, so Vet Sustain um, has... Um, an online discussion on Facebook, a veterinary sustainability forum. There's really useful posts, you know, points for discussion, and a great community of people um, who um, are, um, you know, having these discussions. It's not necessarily that that there are answers to everything that's asked, but we're at a point where some things are known and some things, you know, we need to discuss and we all need to find solutions together. So. So Vet Sustains Veterinary Sustainability Forum is a really good place to get involved within the discussion. In terms of um, where to start, um, I actually currently chair um, one of the sort of branches of Vet Sustain. I chair a subgroup which is called the Greener Veterinary Practice Working Group. And it became established um, 
probably sort of around about January of 2020 and I became involved um, a few months later. Um, all of our meetings have been virtual um, and we're a group of about 10 um, veterinary professionals, um, registered veterinary nurses and veterinary surgeons who um, are either currently practicing or have been practicing um, at a range of stages in their career and everyone's interested in sustainability. Um, we've actually put together a, um, a checklist, the Greener Veterinary Practice Checklist, as a sort of a starting point um, for sustainability. And the key areas of, of this are um, to practice responsible resource use. Um, the different things that are included within this um, include um, reducing your fossil fuel use for energy and heating. Um, it's got to be said that when we're talking about what we can do um, in terms of sustainability within a veterinary practice, the big things, some of them, are very aligned to what we can also do in our own domestic setting. So energy is always going to be key um, and, um, and trying to, um, you know, look at your energy usage, try and reduce your energy usage and then trying to switch to a renewable energy source um, is the ideal thing to do. Um, the other sort of main um, categories of the Green Veterinary Practice um, checklist um, are being sustainable in your operation. Um, and um, that includes um, thinking about um, changes that you can make um, in terms of what you are doing, how are you segregating your waste? Are you disposing of your waste um, in the most appropriate and in the most environmentally sound manner? Um, when I mention this, it, it's sort of referring to um, the fact that um, a large percentage of waste generated within a hospital is potentially recyclable. If it's contaminated, um, then of course it can't be recycled, but a lot of waste um, is not um, contaminated and therefore could be going into um, a recycling stream. Um, it's also considering what waste that is from a clinical setting um, is simply offensive waste um, and not infectious waste and therefore could be um, dealt with via um, an alternative um, treatment protocol such as um, steam sterilization rather than high temperature incineration um, which is more energy intensive um, and um, results um, in more harmful emissions to the environment. Um, it's also, uh, you know, helpful to look at your plastics use, um, what plastics can be um, reduced in your practice. I mean, it's really clear that plastics um, within medical care um, provide many different advantages um, but um, they are not without harm um, to the environment in terms of, you know, their disposal. Um, and we do need to do everything that we can to minimise um, plastic use um, where possible or switch to alternatives. And sometimes that alternative might not be to a non-plastic alternative. An example for this would be... Um, the IV fluid bags um, that um, we use as commonplace um, are um, made of polyvinyl chloride, 
they can be um, replaced um, for a rigid um, low density polyethylene drip bag, um, which um, when incinerated, if that were necessary, um, generate far less harmful emissions. Um, they just um, are de- sort of incinerated to produce carbon dioxide and water, whereas PVC, when incinerated, and um, produces harmful um, dioxins and um, and furans, which um, are respiratory irritants. Um, so these considerations that can be made, and I, m- I must say that if there's no pharmaceutical contamination of an LDPE drip bag, um, which is more like a drip bottle when it's the rigid one, then they um, actually um, can be recycled. So it's about looking at your um, looking at your operation and considering if there can be any changes um, that are made. Um, it's quite a sort of a long-winded answer to your, to your question again, Dom. The, the other two sort of main sections of the Greener Veterinary Practice Checklist are to um, use medicines responsibly. Um, you know, we, we consider um, very carefully um, our appropriate use of antimicrobials and have for um, many years now, but we also um, need to consider um, appropriate use when we're thinking about the use of um, parasiticides as well. Um, and to try and avoid um, drug wastage and ensure that drugs are disposed of correctly. Um, and then the fourth um, section is sustaining the team, thinking about you know um, the well-being of the team. Um, and there's an awful lot of very important work that has been done and is ongoing to provide that absolutely essential support um, for our profession. Um, but a really important thing to um, recognise is that... Um, being aware um, of the sort of uh, the well-being that can be um, created by um, allowing, not allowing as much as as supporting and, and promoting engagement with sustainability within the workplace is very well recognised to improve um, the well-being of the team. And it's also been demonstrated to be really positive in terms of, of um, recruit, recruitment and retention um, of, um, of the team as well. So um, sustainability is something that we just simply need to be doing. Another very long answer to your question. No, 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 that's great. That's great. I suppose, I suppose um, when you've been watching some uh, programmes sort of uh, uh, about this in, in um uh, I suppose in, in, in different facets, not this necessarily specifically. I suppose that when you consider that you're kind of doing the right thing, say for example, like recycling like plastics in your um, uh, at, at home, but then your local authority chooses to, you know, outsource that, and then you find out it gets shipped to Malaysia or, or, or mm-hmm. another um, yeah. country. I suppose like mm-hmm. how to are there are there ways that you can work out what is the best way to do that that you you kind of like follow it through because it's based in the same thing of that um uh you know sustainable palm oil or sustainable mm. farming what what does yeah. what does it actually mean or are people paying lip service and um you do do we not not in a sure. the political scene at the moment do we trust but how do we how do we actually trust you know what we're trying to our efforts are actually going to um Exactly. It's, I mean, it really is very disheartening, isn't it, to learn that the vast majority of plastic that's collected by recycling um, ultimately isn't recycled. 
Um, and when plastic is recycled, um, it's typically downgraded to sort of a lower form of plastic. I, I don't fully understand the sort of chemical engineering principles as to to why that is, whether it's necessity or whether it's economics. I, I don't know. Um, what I, you know, I am very aware of is that we simply don't have all of the answers at the moment. Um, I had um, a wonderful um, current final year student at the RBC um, completing a project with me last year, looking at um, the waste that we generated from theatre. Um, and what one of the things of the many different things that she identified when looking at our clinical waste was that it's very, very difficult to actually identify with the materials that we um, generate um, from clinical work, what are these different plastics and actually are they recyclable or are they not? So um, whilst um, the food packaging manufacturers um, do have to state what type of plastic it is and have that symbol, the sort of triangular symbol with the different numbers within it to say what type of plastic it is and therefore what stream of recycling could potentially go into, that's not something that we see on um, other types of plastic, you know, the plastics that we use in clinical uses. Um, and so we really do need both better um, labelling of plastics for any use. We need to have better reassurance that if plastic is deemed to be recyclable, that it actually is recycled. Um, but it is incredibly problematic in terms of plastic recycling. We know that um, the centres that our recycling centres are, you know, are, are completely overwhelmed with the volume of plastic and therefore it's um, being outsourced to other countries that, um, that quite understandably no longer wish to receive um, this plastic. Um, and so ultimately our main goal has to come back to reducing our use wherever possible. And I believe that in the future, it's going to be a necessity for all manufacturers of products to actually look from what is called looking from cradle to grave at the whole life cycle of a product to actually um, plan and anticipate, you know, when this product is no longer used, um, what is going to be the waste management of this product. Ideally, we would then be in a circular economy situation where with the manufacturer of the new products, they would actually be actively wanting to receive back the waste that was generated from their products um, to make those products. And it, it's a, a long way off, but we need to sort of be, be hopefully seeing things change quickly. Um, it, it would be an ideal situation where a manufacturer had to, um, you know, by law or whatever different, uh, you know, regulations could be put in place to try and achieve this um, to happen, that they had to use recycled product over virgin product. So um, ultimately, um, there is a finite source of um, petrochemicals, um, you know, from fossil fuels. We don't want fossil fuels to be used, but we 
uh, now live in a society that's become really quite dependent upon the use of plastic as much as many of us wish to see the use of plastic um, being used. Um, there are certain scenarios like medical care where plastic in some circumstances is clearly advantageous. Um, and we need to be looking at, at sort of being able to collect and, and manage the waste that we generate appropriately such that we have got a resource um, that can be re, you know, reused within a circular model. Um, so that we have that ongoing um, resource. Um, we want to avoid the kind of continued generation of plastics from as, as virgin material and um, because the um, basically the, the sort of um, the mining or extraction is the word um, of um, of the fossil fuels to make the plastics is highly energy intensive. Um, and then we've also got the high environmental impact of then the generating the plastics from them and the environmental impact of disposal of those products as well. Um, there are sort of straying onto another topic, just to mention you, know, there are bioplastics that are available. And I, um, I've done quite a bit of reading on that recently because I didn't really understand um, what a bioplastic was. Um, and I recently um, had a brief article published um, in veterinary practice, just kind of really starting to ask some questions and raise um, some discussion points about plastics in healthcare. Um, and interesting, bioplastics, um, they sound, um, you know, as a much better alternative and they are more positive. Um, so one example of a bioplastic would be a um, poly, polyethylene um, product that um, was actually synthesized from ethanol, which was grown, well, the, the ethanol that was made from sugarcane that was grown, you know, um, in fields, and therefore not actually needing to have the chemical ethanol, which it goes in to be... Um, polymerized to make the polyethylene um, coming from the petrochemical industry but you still end up with the same sort of physical product of polyethylene but it's been greener in its generation so it may it could be green because it's not involving um, the um, harvesting of um, fossil fuels um, and it can also be green if renewable energy is used in its generation, but you've also got the consideration ultimately of what happens when it's disposed of. It's a really complex and interesting industry. Um, and there are lots of different sort of additives that can be added to different plastics, which affect the rate at which it decomposes. Um, but I haven't really found a sort of comprehensive um, answer as to you know, those plastics that do decompose more rapidly, are they still contributing to the microplastics problem? Do they just decompose to microplastics more quickly? Or are they decomposing to be um, inert natural substances that that don't cause those issues? So um, I'm sure um, we'll have a greater understanding. Um, and, I, you know, I need to do more reading to understand um, about this deeper, but it, it's a really sort of complicated issue when we're considering plastics um, and um, what the best solution would be.
See, see, can I ask on a, on a practical level, like be, when you when you have a look at um, something, say for example, I suppose in surgery, wearing a um, a gown and having drapes. Mm-hmm. They, they, so there are like you know plastic um, alternatives that I'm sure um, many many people use. But I suppose probably when, when you and I graduated, I had to buy my own uh, um, uh, surgical gown, a material one, and, and some drapes for. To, did to you? go into practice. Yes. Yeah, yeah, we, we had as what we did when we mm. wore surgical kit, and mm-hmm. um, that we kind of meant to take with us if we did yeah. to, to, to practice. So I suppose, oh, do you think we're going back to that? Or, or again, is it more complicated because obviously you still need to wash things, they still have a life. What is mm-hmm. the, you know, how, yeah. do, and do people look at this and on the balance, like, do people, should people change back to that or or do you think it depends on I don't know how frequently you use things yeah I think it is a balance um and it's something that I'm really interested in and I'm looking at quite carefully so um the gowns the single use um disposable gowns are typically made of polypropylene they um and the drapes of polypropylene they have a sort of material texture um, that makes them feel quite soft, quite fabricy like And I think some people um, actually almost believe that they maybe are a paper, a sort of paper, but they, they aren't cellulose-based, they are plastic, polypropylene. Um, so the argument for using um, the disposable gowns are that they have got um, improved characteristics in terms of um low permeability and the concern is that if you have got um a lot of fluid um present within you know at the surgical site or you're having to perform a lot of lavage that a um a surgical textile which would be you know like a, a sort of tightly woven um cotton um sort of traditionally um that that would very rapidly have strike through that could then allow um, microbial contamination of the wound um, from you know the skin um, of um, the patient if it, we're considering the drapes or, or the skin um, or clothing um, of the um, of the surgeon. Um, a lot of the studies that were done are now actually quite outdated um, because they were looking at uh, at. Um, sort of cotton or initially like muslin cloth Um, and there were some studies looking at the sort of number of weaves of fabric that you would need to have for this sort of optimal um, kind of standard of the um, textile gowns but it's sort of the general consensus became that you know um, single use items were better because they minimized the risk and you know optimized to the surgical asepsis um, there have been a number of different studies now kind of really trying to ask this question. There was a really great review um, performed as a final year project by a student from the University of Edinburgh, um, Molly um, Vasathakuma. Um, and she's actually published this as an RCBS knowledge um, review. And this was looking at all of the data available with regards to the use um, of Um, fabric drapes versus um, single-use disposable drapes and whether there really actually is any evidence um, about um, there being an increased rate of surgical site infection if we do use reusable drapes 
her conclusion was that there, there wasn't, but but she did, you know, quite um, reasonably say that the evidence base, however, is weak because there's not a great deal of information published um, there. Um, I think it, it's also coming back to a point I started to, to mention and I went off at a tangent a little, is that um, some of the reusable gowns that are now available are more sophisticated in, in terms of the, you know, the material properties that they have than the material properties that were being looked at previously. So um, perhaps um, the use of a sort of a cloth um, woven gown um, that's reusable um, should be compared to um, a reusable um, synthetic gown that whilst it's plastic and synthetic may be able to be used um, on multiple occasions. Um, there then comes the question that you raised on about, well, you know, if you're actually going to be having to wash this gown, um, having to re-sterilize it, repackage it, etc., um, does it sort of essentially really balance out in terms of the environmental environmental impact? And this year um, there was a really useful um, study a life cycle analysis um, of base, basically both options um, the single use disposable gown versus the um, reusable um, um, cloth gown. Um, and a, what a life cycle analysis means is that it looks at every stage in terms of the um, synthesis um, of that product and um, its distribution, its sterilization. Um, its disposal, um, and then including a reusable alternative, um, looking at what would be involved um, in terms of the washing, re-sterilization, repackaging, and making a comparison. It's basically like a sort of really clear comparison. Um, and um, this publication came out this year, and it, it clearly shows that um, the reusable gown massively outperforms the single-use item in terms of, of environmental credentials. There's simply no contest. It, it's completely clear. Um, I can't remember exactly the statistics, but, you know, it, it it's um, it's at least 50% better in terms of, um, you know, the, the sort of um, carbon footprint from the energy associated with all of those different steps. And when you're considering um, the... Um, use um, of water, even the um, the reusable item, it was still um, far better when you're considering um, the use of water, um, and also in, you know when you're considering um, the impact with waste as well. Um, the publication is by um, Vozola um, et al, um, and it's um, yeah really helpful to have that um, piece of information because I've often sort of raised the issue and chatted to colleagues about it and, and we've kind of together kind of thought oh well perhaps you know once we take into account the washing etc this is the the sort of um you know it's comparable but but this provides clear evidence that it's not um I, I actually have a, another great um finally a student doing an rp2 project who I'm working with um whilst I'm still, you know, involved in some projects at the RBC, which I'm really delighted to be able to do. Um, and she um, is going to look at um, a range of different surgical procedures and the degree um, of contamination that 
is present on the front of someone's gown, on the sleeves and on the drapes. Um, and actually what we're hoping to do is sort of pr produce a sort of guide to provide, you know, like we kind of want to use a rational use of antibiotics. Well, a rational use of single use surgical textiles um, because they are not without environmental impact. And so we should be um, only using the single use items when we need to. So to me, I would imagine that it would be quite clear that it was necessary to use single use items that have got greater permeability if we're doing surgery for gastric dilatation of volvulus, where we expect there to be a lot um, of fluids, um, a lot of oozing, um, and um, really sort of quite a physically involved surgery in terms of um, having to um, derotate um, the stomach and perform um, a gastropexy, um, possibly a splenectomy as well. And I would imagine that that really should be an indication of using single-use um, surgical textiles. Um, but a um, simple um, lump removal, I don't think it would be. Or um, even um, an exploratory laparotomy for routine gastrointestinal biopsies in a cat. Um, I don't think um, my gown has become... Um, wet with contamination um, in that procedure, thinking back from all the times I've performed that procedure. Um, and therefore, I think it probably would be a rational consideration to use um, a reusable gown in that circumstance. Um, and this is a, a way that I'm sort of adjusting the way I personally practice um, at present. But I think it would be great to provide a sort of an evidence base to try um, and, and provide a guide for people to make a rational judgment. Um, about what they do. For, for use of um, reusable gowns and um, you know, things in, in surgery, I suppose that we, you know, working um, in places where we do, I suppose we, we tend to see, you know, surgeons using that equipment, but I suppose as a, as a veterinary profession across the whole, I suppose we don't know necessarily what, what how sure. people... Sure, I know, absolutely. Um, so there are a couple of publications I'm aware, you know, I've worked at the RBC for a very long time and therefore... That's what I have seen is the use of um, single-use um, disposable textiles. And I would say that across most referral centres, that would pretty much be the standard um, of care that, that was provided. Um, and for, for many positive reasons, but we, we're now faced with, you know, we're having to question what we're doing. And it's not just us that are questioning it, you know, in human... Um, um, surgery as well um, they this is being questioned um, there is a, a lady called um, Miss Chantelle Razan who is actually completing a PhD in terms of um, surgical sustainability um, in human procedures and she's looking at all of these um, aspects as well um, there was when we're sort of thinking about the use of reusable textiles versus single use items um, there was a publication about around about 10 years ago um, that um, came from um, the University of Bristol, um, which was actually surveying um, UK draping practices. Um, I feel terrible that um, the name of the gentleman who wrote it, who I know isn't popping into my head right at the moment, but um, a, Ed Friend was one of the co-authors on, on that paper. Um, and um, it was really useful because it, reviewed surgical draping practices it also had a bit of information 
in gowning on there as well. Um, so that gives us a bit of an idea of what percentage of um, of practices were using single-use items versus reusable. Um, and then I did um, have the the fortune to um, be involved last week um, in a discussion um, with, um, it was the autumn um, series in place of the London Vet Show, um, and it was uh, a BVA. We were basically kind of, having a discussion about sustainability to launch their campaign of the green team vet, which is, you know, BVA is now, is now supporting. Um, and there was one question that we had upon um, reusable surgical text textiles in practice as a survey. There were uh, over a hundred people that were present in that conversation. And I think um, around about 30% were using single use items um, and um, there was then some people we said you using mixed and some people were just using um, all reusable. So um, that's data that I want to sort of have a look back at as well, because that, that's really useful. Um, so mentioning the, the BVA and the um, Green Team Vet campaign, and BVA have been really supportive of this Greener Veterinary Practice um, Working Group um, checklist for sustainability that we have created. Um, and the BVA... Um, are going to launch that with us um, within um, the coming weeks. Um, and it's also um, been um, endorsed by both BVNA and SPIVs as well. Um, so a great sort of collaboration. So soon um, there will be this sort of simple guide to get started um, in veterinary practice um, available for, for everyone to um, download from the Vet Sustain website. Um, it'll be launched um, via BVA. So um, they will um, publicise it as well, which is really fantastic and we're really grateful for. Um, and the, it's called um, a Greener Veterinary Practice um, Sustainability Checklist. And the Greener is really kind of meant to just make it um, more achievable. So um, it's um, quite a sort of awe-inspiring um, and maybe a little overwhelming to think about what has been achieved at Davies Veterinary Specialists. And I'm you know, fortunate to have just started working there and seen lots of things that have in place, and it's very um, impressive. Um, but um, I can see that sort of for myself and other people um, coming from a position of not having yet started on that journey, um, that um, it can seem, well, you know, I simply won't be able to achieve that. You know, we're not going to become a true eco practice. So we're probably not the people who should get involved. But the real thing is, is that we all need to get involved. And that even if each one of us makes a small change, that does come together to make a really quite a big difference. Um, and it's just a change in our culture as well. So we can all become a little bit greener. And together, I think we can make quite a big difference in what we do. That, um, that's wonderful. Um, can I can I ask you what what, what do you, I suppose a couple of maybe um, questions about it. what what are the what do you think are the the big sort of challenges and, and where you know what what does the future hold for for this? Obviously, you spoke about the um, like partnership with like BVA as well, and obviously people, more people are, are are talking about it, which is which is fantastic. Um, yeah. what, what do you think are the, uh, um, the, the challenges that our profession is going to have and, and also the, how the future will look? Are we going to be dependent on what our um, 
allied um, health professionals you know, do or, or manage? Are we, are we, or, or do you think we could we could lead the way? I, I think that we have to lead the way because as vets, um, and you know, our, you and I, Dom, have worked in small animal practice. I think did you do some mixed work? I don't know, but. No, um, no, no, no. that's that's when i retire that's the job okay there there clearly are um our colleagues who were involved um in you know all of the other aspects of veterinary medicine um you know sort of farming um work um clearly you know has much greater interplay um you know with the natural ecosystem um and they can have a very profound role upon um upon what happens in that regard as small animal companion animal clinicians our role really is to minimize our impact upon the environment um and to you know promote um environment being something that we have to to really focus upon as a key. Um, I think that in the future, um, sustainability is going to be on the agenda a lot, you know, at the same level as health, health and safety. So health and safety was not something that was a consideration, um, you know, going way back. Um, and now we would all be completely appalled if um, anyone was, you know, operating um, in a business without um, making appropriate considerations to health and safety of everyone within the workplace. And I think we, we just have to consider that sustainability in the future should be aligned with that um, because um, we do only have one planet. Um, and unless we make um, significant changes now, um, you know, we uh, are going to, to face um, a, a very uncertain and very difficult future. Um, we've got to think positively. Um, there are so many options for us to change to a low carbon future with minimal environmental impact. Um, and that future looks really great. Um, and we all need to work together um, to be moving forwards to do that. Um, I, I know that it's you know really important agenda now for um, all of the different um, veterinary professional bodies um, and um, I understand that you know the RCBS are also um, you know focusing upon this as a really key area um, and it's something which I, I think um, may well appear within the practice standard scheme uh, as well um, in the future um, so I think that's all um, extremely positive and I think we can make a big difference um, as um, as a profession. Yeah, like in, obviously, in, in recent times, um, a lot of people are having to wear uh, PPE and, and face masks, and, and obviously that's that's going to continue probably for the for the foreseeable future. So, is there is there anything um, do you think that we can we can do in, in that regard? Um, so it's a really good question, Dom, and it, it it sort of aligns with one of the questions you asked me about um, the challenges um, for people embarking upon a sustainability journey. And there, there are a number of, di- of different ones, but of course, at the moment, everyone is under such immense pressure with the altered working um, you know, flow that they're have, having to adopt because of COVID and all of the other strains and stresses that it brings. Um, and then um, it's also been highlighted a number of times on the Veterinary Sustainability Forum, the, the kind of Sort of eco-anxiety that people are experiencing with um, using all of this single-use um, PPE, um, it's a, you know, the huge amount of waste that they are generating. 
Um, there were a couple of um, really useful things that um, that I saw on the Veterinary Sustainability Forum. One was um, Regents Court Veterinary Practice, who is one of the practices that is highlighted as um, a case study um, following their sustainability journey, had actually sourced um, a recycling um, bin, a specific recycling bin. You can have a look on the, the forum to sort of see the details of that. Um, and that was um, it could be used for recycling um, single-use masks, single-use surgical masks, provided they weren't contaminated, um, you know, with, with veterinary um, uh, sort of contaminants such as, you know, blood or other fluids, etc. They could be put in there and recycled. So that was a really great um, thing to see. Um, the use of, of cloth masks um, is something... Um, which I think really should be um, advocated in um, our sort of domestic lives when we're going shopping, you know, as opposed to using the um, surgical masks. Um, however, um, my understanding from trying to um, minimise um, contacts within a working environment is that a cloth mask isn't sufficient to deem you um to not have been um a contact um of a person that you were working with and therefore that's not i i think something that we can currently use as an alternative um there was also a really great idea from um, another veterinary practice um i've seen it pop up a couple of times of um, practices who were using aprons um that were um, coated with polyurethane and then um, cleaning those um, between uses with a virucidal disinfectant spray. Um, I, I would be really interested to know if there were any guidelines as to whether or not this adheres to the standards of, um, of PPE that we um, you know, are required to wear um, for protection. Um, but it seemed like a rational use of PPE to me. But um, I had I sort of was involved in this discussion last week, and I I would like to sort of pursue it further to find out whether this is something um, that sort of is is kind of supported, um, uh, you know, in terms of of that being an alternative. It is quite odd because that um, you know, in, I suppose in the in the UK um, with that with talking about the blue planet and the amount of plastics in our ocean mm. and the and the interest that that got in the um, in the media. And then you know COVID hit and and everyone's being told to, to wear masks and if you can mm. and if you can find them I can see that sort of eco anxiety sort of being being rife. Yeah, people. I mean it's it's a it's a obviously a necessity um, for you know for many circumstances at the moment, but it, it's just it we still can't step away from the fact that we need to consider any ways in which we can mitigate it and still you know be um, achieving the level of protection that is needed. There are um, plant-based aprons. So, you know, I mentioned there's sort of bioplastics and um, plant-based aprons. They're less, envir less environmentally harmful um, than um, plastics made from virgin material. There are also plant-based visors and um, cellulose visors that um, can be um, used as well. Um, so, you know, there are different alternatives that can maybe um, sort of reduce our impact um, uh, to some extent um, with, with these precautions that we're having to take. With the cellulose stuff, um, are they as 
I suppose that that's the whole thing. Like, it'd be good. I know there's the Soil Association for mm. um, um, for use of organic, right? And organic tends to yeah. be like a buzzword, yeah. doesn't it? And then people mm. say organic, but what does that actually mean? And then, you know, free range. And we know that free range chickens are actually maybe their quality of life is is is, is very good compared to battery hens, but not necessarily hens that are in, a, in an environment where they're allowed mm. to roam around. So mm. because of the anxieties of doing that. And it's hard to know, isn't it, that if I'm buying a cellulose thing, is it actually made in some developing country that is being shipped over here? You know, like it's hard mm. to know. But in, interestingly, you know, when, when we sort of think about the all of the different UN Sustainable Development Goals and considering the sustainability and working conditions for the products that we're purchasing, um, the... Um, I don't know exactly, um, you know, where they have come from, but there was a really interesting um, webinar provided by Professor um, Buta, um, who has, he um, has produced a document for sort of ethical procurement um, of surgical equipment um, and consumables. Um, and the, a huge number of the sort of instruments that are used um, in surgery um, and the gloves and the gowns um, are manufactured um, in um, countries in which the working conditions are, are below what we would, would hope. Um, so that opened my eyes as well. You know, there's, there's lots of questions um, that kind of need to be answered in, in terms of trying to achieve, um, you know, a, a fair... Um, working condition for for all um so yeah loads of different questions that we could probably talk for for a long time another hour yeah yeah maybe fair enough fair enough yeah um but I, I suppose that's probably the way we way we i suppose the way vets think about things like it is is you know although there might be a simple um answer actually everything is quite complicated isn't yes it? And you, mm. you 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 know are you um you know, paying Peter and robbing Paul or yeah. vice versa. But as, yeah, that, as scientists, we, we're kind of well, very well placed to be able to evaluate all of those different um, factors and, and make, you know, a balanced decision. Um, and that, that's one of the reasons why we're, you know, very well placed to be, be making decisions involved in sustainability is because of, the, you know, the way that we are trained uh, as problem solvers and, 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 um, you know, taking into account all sorts um, of different factors in terms of decision making for sort of an optimal outcome, but we we've not focused enough upon um, the ecosystem um, in terms of our decision making in, until now. But but it's happening. Yes, uh, that's great, Jenny. And, and I suppose uh, it, it does make me think of, of of quite a lot of other questions. But maybe um, unless you think we've, we've missed something, maybe we should. Um, try and wrap it up there with your with your yeah that's fine I mean it's something we could talk about forever isn't it because there are so yeah. many different areas I mean it's sort of endless really the considerations about what we could you know could do and um, but I think probably that's probably enough um of you hearing me chat about it for now and we could talk it's, another time it's, it's good I, suppose, I do have one one natural okay. person because because the because when talking about like the the um uh, I was going to say general practitioners, but actually the uh, you know vets who deal with all all creatures, 
um, mm. that farming sort of aspect. So are there people in the in the veterinary sustainability community who are who are coming at it from from that angle, from um, you know, like the, the large dairy or, or, or beef herds in this in this country? Yes, de- yes, or- definitely. And um, Laura Hyam, who founded um, Vet Sustain, um, that's very much her area. Um, Vet Sustain has got um, three different branches to it, um, and one of them um, is a food and farming working group. Um, one of the focuses um, that they are discussing is, is regenerative agriculture. I won't begin to try and discuss it because it's really not my um, field, um, but there's a lot of useful resources that are available um, on the Vet Sustain website, lots of useful discussions on the Veterinary Sustainability Forum, which is the Vet Sustain um, Facebook um, group, um, lots of really interesting and valuable webinars. I think what's really important, um, whilst I won't sort of discuss things in depth, is that um, this being raised by Vet Sustain um, as an issue is not to say um, that we should not be farming or not to try and dictate what type of um, diet that um, people eat within society and it's trying to raise awareness and trying to um, uh, sort of promote um, sustainability sustainable activities but um, you know within um, the realms of sort of still offering um, choice so there are obviously lots of different discussions to be to be had about all of the different impacts we can all have upon the environment in, in different things that we do and that touches upon um, considerations when we're thinking about you know farming um, of food um, and agriculture and there's an awful lot of incredibly valuable discussion that, that is happening ultimately um we're in a position um, where um, there there will be concerns about food scarcity um, in the future with the ongoing environmental crisis crises, um, and that's a really important discussion, which which I would leave um, other people to to sort of go and, and listen to discussions from people who know all about that. Well, maybe I, I should speak to uh, ask Laura to come on the pod at some time. Yeah, yeah, sure. Maybe have a, have a chat with her. Um, Joey, as as always, it's wonderful to to speak to you, and, and I think um, I'll we'll, we can we can put some <clears throat> links on the on the podcast pages so for for the um, vet sustain and, and uh, uh, other other websites as as well. But um, um, but thank you so much for your your time. So I think we'll 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 wrap it up there. Um, thank you to the audience for, for listening and don't forget to hit that subscribe button on your generic fruit-based device and that way you don't even have to worry about missing a podcast. If you can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or Acast, that'd be great. And don't forget to tell your friends, vet friends or any others. I'm sure they'd be interested to hear what, what Zoe had to say today. We'll place some show notes on the RVC pages, so just type in RVC Clinical Podcast into your search engine of choice and it should be top of the tree. So if you have any comments or suggestions for this podcast, please get in touch. You can either email dbarfield.rvc.ac.com uk or tweet at don barfield until next time bye bye